your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. We're back. It's Monday, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line, the thing that the guy just said, why I repeated it, I don't know. Uh, Lacrosse Mayor Mitch Reynolds hanging out this hour. He is on the phone today because he's at the Packer game in, G- in New York, right? No? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. Actually, <laughs> I'm not at the Packer game. Oh, that's a really good idea. I hadn't thought about that as an option, but okay. Yeah, um, right? I mean, you, you, you're you pre-gaming, so you, you can't come in here because, you know, like you got you got to right. – you're, you're on the so grill. That, that was primarily it. No, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, I love it. I love the idea. That's great to be here, though. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Packers kind of, uh, you know, they're going to, I think pregame's on KTY. If any of you guys want to just go listen to that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I mean, they're uh, Packers. They're, they're not going to make the playoffs, right? I mean, right now they're sitting pretty, you know, they're, they've got a, they've got the easiest schedule left in the NFL. They, you know, three more, what three more games? Four more games? I guess tonight, tonight, and three more. Um, I would say they're in the driver's seat. Frankly, I saw a stat before the winning streak that Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love's stats statistics are mm-hmm. identical at the the their points in their careers. Like literally, maybe a couple of yards or a, a an interception offer. I think they were almost identical. It was kind of crazy. Like, oh my god, we're gonna get a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. Like this, this three back-to-back Hall of Famer is kind of crazy. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, who knows? I mean, get him some help, man. Christian Watson's coming around, but he ain't playing tonight. Um, all right. So obviously, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. I, I mean, I, 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 I kind of want to talk about the in-season tournament and the Bucks losing to Tyrese Halliburton and Oshkosh Native, but. Uh, maybe we'll save it for the NBA Finals when Tyrese Halliburton's beating the Bucks in the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah. Okay. So first, first and foremost, you were just out of the country, uh, not not very long ago at the yeah. what what's called like the COP twenty eight, but it's the UN Climate Change Conference. Um, yeah. Or I don't know if it's is it literally called the Climate Change Conference, or is it like the climate you know where they don't change they don't make it climate change, so it's not so triggering. It's climate change conference. Yeah. yeah, it's the UN climate change conference. What do you mean by triggering? Well, you say climate change, and people are like, "Climate is not change." You know what I mean? Like, just well, we're still there. That. I tend to think it's an existential crisis that all of humanity is facing, and that we need to take drastic action now. But for those who think that it doesn't exist, I feel bad for them. Well, it's not even that. Yeah, I think the conversation shifted to it. Not that it doesn't exist; it exists, but it's not our fault. It's not the, you know, billions of people that live here that are polluting every day. It's not us. It's the it's the earth. The earth's doing it to itself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we can I'm sure we can continue to debate that forever though. No, yeah, right. Um so but you were you were in Dubai. First of all, like Dubai is this like weird in my head. I've had, I'm not going to pretend to read a lot about Dubai, but it's like we're going to put a city here. We're just going to build it with, you know, however we want to build it. In the middle of a desert, and then how do you, you know, like how does it get energy and water and and but 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 it's it's kind of immaculate, right? Like, what were your impressions of Dubai? It's really interesting, actually, and yeah, it's a completely overbuilt uh, bunch of nonsense, and it's not it's not in the middle of the desert. It's right uh, on Persian Gulf, uh, but it is uh, it is definitely an interesting study on uh, on excess. 
Uh, it's just a lot of asphalt and concrete. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. It was a complete paradox to have the climate change conference in a city like Dubai. That was where I was going. The United Arab Emirates solidly depending constantly on pumping massive amounts of oil to support the excess that they do build. I mean, the tallest building in the world is there. You know, it's just these. It's this massive amount of skyscrapers and asphalt and concrete and all the other things that go along with that. And you know the. You got the Ferrari dealer next to the Bentley dealer, next to the Lamborghini dealer, next to the you know it just goes on and on and on. So it's uh, it's 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 a little nuts for sure. But uh, you know it also is a place where everybody went this year to uh, advocate for uh, methods and means to try to find our way forward to adapt and create resiliency when it comes to climate change. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, and not that it's your fault. You're just going to go because. You were invited. It's kind of hard to take the whole thing seriously. Like when we're going to a the joke is always all the, you know, the elites fly their private jets to the place to talk about climate change. But then to have it in a place that is kind of like the maybe the poster child of of what we shouldn't be doing as a nation or as a as a world. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you you talk about all the other stuff, the oil money, and 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 I I read I did read a little bit about that how like oh we're sidling up to the oil money the 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 yeah. oil money at, at the climate change conference as if those things aren't competing with each other. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. I think all the criticism is fair. I think it's reasonable to point that uh, again uh, the, the in some ways the hypocrisy out because there certainly was a sense that the fossil fuel industry was more heavily involved in this cop than once previously, primarily because of where it was situated in the UAE. But at the same time, you can't get here, you can't get there from here without having these countries involved in these talks. And so in some ways, there has to be some involvement. And why not go to the very heart of it to, if you're going to talk about fossil fuel phase out, how do you get there without involving the countries that got to, you know, they got to get out of the game? Uh, and so I think it was important in that regard. And yeah, you might talk about the elites going there in their jets, but it was also heads of nations. Um, I, I, you know, I, I talked to a couple of them, and it was uh, it was a pretty significant. There's 200 nations that are involved and are in, involved in high level talks in in terms of trying to find a path forward. So I. I guess you can you can mock it if you will, but you know there was a tremendous uh, number of people who were there who are really intent on finding a way to. And I don't think anybody seriously thinks that uh, we can head off the worst of uh, climate changes. And maybe there are people who hope that still, but I think the vast majority of us are finding ways to figure out how we can create more resiliency and adapt greater to the changes that are coming. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. If you want to talk with the lacrosse mayor, Mitch Reynolds, we're hanging out this hour. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom in here, and Mitch Reynolds is out there, but he's on the phone hanging out this hour, 608-785-7914. Mitch Reynolds is, the ho- is, is not the host anymore. He's the mayor of lacrosse. I don't know why, like, I just, it's like, it, like I had a brain fart for a second there. I was just like, what am I, what am I, in my head, I was saying that. And then I just, oh, okay. Um, okay. Here, here we go. Okay. So I, I want to continue this conversation about why you were in Dubai. Why was the lacrosse mayor at COP28, the climate change, uh, UN climate change uh, meetings? 
And but here here we go. Uh, existing thermal vents and other natural sources change our climate, not humans. That's uh, what who I've nicknamed COVID Joe on our um, tech talk and text line, and he's named okay. him the well, self that. But. Let me ask you a question about why I was there. So I'm the national co-chair of Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative, and that's a uh, it's an organization of 105 mayors uh, that exists along the Mississippi River corridor uh, from Bemidji to New Orleans. And uh, so I was representing that organization in Dubai. Um, so on behalf of and advocating uh, and on behalf of uh, MRCTI with the work that we're doing in developing natural infrastructure along the Mississippi River Corridor, as well as our work in, uh, in plastics uh, as well, plastic pollution. Uh, so that's primarily while, why I was there. I know the questions have come up about who is paying for it. So just be, be clear that the... the Taxpayers of the city of La Crosse were not paying for that. Uh, primarily, the most of the funding for the trip for uh, for me to attend, as well as my uh, colleague Eric Simmons, who's the mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, we were most of the funding from that came from Blue, Bloomberg Philanthropies, and uh, so just to be clear of that. Anyway, so I was at, I was. Uh, uh, representing MRCTI, and we were meeting. We had multiple different uh, meetings. We spoke on multiple different panels. Um, I was uh, happy to be able to sign an international agreement with the uh, government of India to establish their own rivers group in in that nation, which was very exciting. And so we got to met, meet with uh, uh, the. Uh, and I don't remember the title, actually, of the person that I met with, but basically the uh, interior, we'll call it the interior um, minister of, of, of India, to talk about how we were going to coordinate our efforts together moving forward, because they have multiple river systems, obviously, that are supporting a nation of a billion people, the Ganges and the Indus and the uh, Yangtze. So, I mean, there's just multiple different rivers that, that we're talking about there. Um, and... So that was primarily what I was there for. But also, you know, working as a, as a mayor, I was one of 30 U.S. mayors to attend COP28. There are 300, about 300 mayors from around the globe altogether. And, and this year was, was different than, than years in the past because the focus was on the work on the subnational level. What's happening on the local level so that we're working to combat or adapt to climate change uh, in whatever way we can, how can we promote that work together at that like local or subnational level? And that's primarily what our work was while I was there for that for that week. Um, yeah, it's interesting too because you say how can we combat and adapt, and we're probably shifting a little bit further from combat and a little bit closer to adapting to climate change as as we we hit this cliff right i think i I pointed that out earlier i think that there's not really anyone that's thinking that we're somehow going to fix you know what what whatever the temperature change is right now or what it's about to be but what maybe we can you know maybe we can change our habits to to make it a little bit different in the future but primarily how can we be more resilient um, yeah, and, you, and you've talked about the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative in the, a couple of months ago, just the, the idea that we've got to protect the Mississippi River in different ways. The, the, you know, the headline-grabbing one is that Arizona wants to pipe Mississippi water over there, too, and I like to just say water their golf courses. That's kind of how yeah, I like to put it, much. but, but we're, we're not—I don't know how far out we are from water wars— 
Uh, but you know, the, and and maybe the the movie Water World. I made that joke of the past. Uh, but but we're getting there. I think we're starting to see that. And in, and in places in the world, there are giant towns that just don't have water. Like we see that already. It, it, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's obviously there's places it, it, where I was in Dubai would not have water if they did not desalinize the the you know the the water for the Persian Gulf. And desalinization is the only reason they exist. Uh, and that's that's where they get all of their water. All of their water comes from desalinization. Okay, you mentioned plastics, like in obviously. Yeah. So when I when I think about lacrosse being right on the Mississippi River, uh, and and anytime I just you know the cigarette butt that goes out the window, or just when you buy a to go cup and it's plastic, and if that ends up on the ground, or if the garbage cans aren't secure and stuff blows out, or the uh, in the business district where the recycling business is, and it's just the, like if the wind blows, all that trash comes out of that area, and it just gonna, it's yep. going to end up in the Mississippi River, and then it's going to end up, you yep. know, killing all yep. the turtles. Um, is yep. there any initiative to like, hey, you know, along with getting off of oil, we should also, you know, which is created by oil, get off of plastics somehow, way, yeah. way shape, yeah. or form? That's some of the work that, you know, the organization that I'm with, that's some of the work that we're doing right now is trying to identify methods for us to be more plastics in, independent. Um, and what, what we're trying to do is also be a part of the international treaty on plastics production that has been going on. Those discussions have been going on now for a few years. So we're hopefully going to be part of those conversations in Ottawa next spring, actually in, yeah, I guess in April, to try to get a, try to get some good language in the final plastics treaty that really emphasizes uh, producer responsibility. So in other words, we want the producers of plastics to have the responsibility from for the entire life cycle of their products uh, instead of just basically gaining those profits off the initial production and then socializing the cost of cleanup, which is what happens now. So what we would like to do is to ensure that producers are held uh, responsible for the lifetime of their products. And this is happening in other nations. It's just that we have not done that in the U.S. just because the uh, the petroleum lobbies, the plastic lobbies are, are too significant to really allow that at this point. How different or the same is that with such a things like PFAS, uh, the the forever chemicals that we're we're having a fight now with the city right now. Yeah. I don't know if it's a fight, think, but like there's been I, news I, lately about I, that. Yeah, I, I think there's some similarity there. I think that definitely the manufacturers, the PFAS chemicals, did uh, they shirked their lifetime responsibility for those chemicals. In fact, they you know denied. They have continued to deny that they're responsible at all. They continue to pretend that they don't have responsibility for the damage that they caused. Um, so there is a, a tremendous n- uh, number of, of similarities there. They are uh, as significantly damaging, if not more so, than the uh, massive amount of plastics that are in our waste, are in our uh, in our waterways right now. When you when you're doing all these initiatives, when you're talking about some of these dilemmas, like microplastics is another one. I don't know how much do you learn and just go, oh my god! Like when you start reading about microplastics being in everything and in our blood and in all our food, uh, you can't wash clothes anymore because all our clothes are made of microplastics, and then that goes right into our septic tank. I don't know. Is anything like from that whole like learning curve where you're just like, wow, this is the existential problem when it comes to plastics? I think that. Uh, one of the things that has been, especially with, in relation to plastics, 
uh, with the work that again MRCTI has done in in evaluating, gathering data, analyzing data up and down the Mississippi River uh, about plastics, I think that has created a tremendous amount of awareness for me. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, types of plastics, and when we collected data, we 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 looked at the you know just did a breakdown of where the plastics come from who the producers are, who's responsible for them, you know, where, uh, where specifically types of plastics uh, come from. It's, it's, it's pretty, it, it, it kind of makes you just recognize what the significance of what we're up against on a regular and daily basis. And, and that, that certainly opens eyes. What's the biggest dilemma with the Mississippi river and plastics? Is it just like trash that ends up on the streets, yeah, this so is, to speak. This is river basins all over the, over the globe. I mean, there's no question. The, you know, it's, it's we we know that the plastics wind up in oceans, but they get there get there because of river basins. Uh, you know, we we collect the Mississippi River Basin collects from 31 states and two provinces, and it all drains out the mouth uh, into the Gulf of Mexico, and those plastics go somewhere. So it. You know, it, it all comes from our, our streets. It goes into our storm sewers. It winds up in, in different rivers, different tributaries. Everything drains to the Mississippi. It all goes down the stream and winds up in the Gulf. And our uh, goal is to somehow prevent that from happening. And then, again, we get back to extended uh, uh, producer responsibility. We have to find a way to ensure, well, there's two, actually two things. First of all, we got to find a way to um, to, uh, to to change the the dyna- demand dynamic. We have to change uh, uh, consumer habits so that we're not, you know, so that plastic is just not part of our normal life, where we're not just we're getting plastic and then we're throwing plastic out. There has to be a change there. But if there is a change for, such that producers are responsible for the life of their product, then Society isn't bearing the cost of cleaning all that stuff up long after producers have already gained the profit from it. Privatizing profits, socializing cost is not the way that we're going to be successful. Yeah, we got to get out. If if a company like Oreo cookies, let's just say they got their all their Oreos are in plastic. If we make them pay for the the cost of you know that plastic going out into the world a the oreo cookies would probably be more expensive that's always the argument well if you do that then they're going to cost more also be like well, can we just not make the pa- the package plastic <laughs> i mean that's a real possibility right um also we we don't need to wrap the corn in the cob in plastic or the corn not in the cob anymore like we don't people we don't need to wrap that crap in plastic if you see it wrapped in plastic don't buy the corn that's wrapped in plastic go buy the corn that you have to husk my god All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back. All right. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 is the text line. Lacrosse Mayor Mitch Reynolds on the phone with me. Not in studio today, he's on the phone. Uh, We just got done talking about his trip to Dubai as the co chair of the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative. How many mayors? You said 30 mayors went to. The, co- the COP28, the climate change, the UN climate change thing. But how many mayors are part of, do you know the Mississippi Rivers thing? Yeah, 105. 105, right. Yeah. We start in St. Paul not, and all it, the way down? It's, it's, it, yeah, it's well from Bemidji, from Bemidji, Bemidji. so the headwaters, uh, to New Orleans. Uh, I think, well, actually, I think technically the southernmost 
city is West Vigo, if I'm not mistaken, or Greta. Sure. I don't know. But yeah. Um, all right. I want to talk. Uh, yep. Obviously, it was committee week last week. I had both yep. committees, a couple of council members come in and kind of preview a little bit of those committees. And sure. um, so we could take like a maybe a post view as we headed to Thursday city council meeting. But I, yep. I don't know how we want to set this up. So um, there's there's short term rentals. That's one thing. There's what's yep. called ADUs, which is a, a accessory dwelling units, which is the stupidest name for a thing. Uh, what, what I like to call just like unattached buildings on a residential property. Is that a fair summation? Unattached, unattached buildings on a residential property. So a, an ADU. That's an uh, ADU. U-bor- U-borp? Is that a U-borp? <laughs> unattached buildings on a residential there's property. No, there's no U-borp. way. Well, Kaya so Fox is. ADU is, is worse than U-borp? But I have to describe. Well, if you call it an accessory dwelling unit, nobody knows. Like, what is that? Oh, it's an everybody, unattached building. Everybody you, knows what that is. Oh, yeah, you think is, so? This is like the this is the industry name for something. Right, but is, but if uh, I don't know, then not. Yeah. I'm the everyday man, Mitch. I'm the everyday. Okay. Man. <laughs> uh, Kaya Fox called them mother-in-law houses or something like that. Kaya Fox would no, have it. Is. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly. That's another uh, another name for it. Is that, that sure. is that how it works when you all are married? You when your mother-in-law comes out, you you throw her, and especially in lacrosse where there's yeah. no plumbing or heating, you just throw her out in the in the uh, ADU. Put her, put her on top of the garage for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is and and the the council committees they they yeah. kind of they kind of like didn't I I just thought like hey I own a building that's unattached to my house and I want to plumb it or heat it or or whatever so that I can rent it out and the committees I thought that was a no brainer the committees seem to not think it's a no brainer. Mm. There's a lot to think there. Uh, there's a lot to consider there, and I think that it's important for us to be very deliberate when it comes to any decision like this. I mean, these are these have been adopted in other places, and the the concept is, I think, a pretty good one. Is that you have areas, you know, we live in we uh, to to some extent, many of us live in homes that have ex- excessive uh, space or outdoor spaces, and um, it can identify places where uh, where there where people can live that are not exactly in a traditional home kind of sense, and so it, it when you're when you're in a housing crisis, sometimes you know you 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 look for solutions that may be a little bit outside of the box. ADUs have been a solution that have been tried in other places and have been somewhat successful. I don't know if that's going to be the case yet. Here in Lacrosse, we'll see how the things go this week. Um, I think there's been a lot of work put into this, and I'm I'm kind of curious what the council decides. I think that there are always complications when you're talking about adding a, a dwelling that wasn't meant for a lot that was that has been platted. So there's the the concerns related to uh, sewer and water, and any other utility, how does it get there? How do you have, what is the safest fire access? How do how do all emergency vehicles get to that ADU? What if you're in the back of a lot that doesn't have uh, alley access? We have multiple, um, we have multiple uh, different areas of the city where it looks like there may have been an alley, but it's not actually an alley. They're just, they were never platted with an alley. Uh, and so there's no way to access that with public vehicles. So if there's an ADU in the back of a lot like that, how do you get to it? And then how do you make give that a consideration? So you have to you have to make sure there's right of way access and some way to to get emergency vehicles to it. 
You have to make sure that uh, utilities are unimpeded. Uh, there's a lot of different considerations uh, for all of these things. But at the end of the day, the, the concept is, well, how do we create more density and how do we help solve for a housing crisis? And uh, this is one of those ways. And so if we can get it right, I think it'll work, but we have to get it right. Okay, so there's a, there's a safety component to this. And then also, yeah. when it comes to that safety component, would there be like a burden on the city to I, I, like check on to make sure that your ADU is up to code, so to speak, and and therefore yeah, that burden? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's part of what, what our, our inspection department does. That's what they do. Yep. But is there a problem there? Like if, if, if a bunch of people want ADUs, the, the, the inspection department wouldn't be able to keep up or wouldn't be able to, or, or they wouldn't tell you that they're having an ADU and therefore, you know, someone I, burns I, in a fire, I, the fire I, department I could. That, I'm relatively certain that there are people out there who do that now. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that uh, regardless, you know, people will, you, you make laws, people break laws. Uh, and we're out to ensure that uh, that we're assuring public safety and that we're creating an environment such that uh, people are able to to live their best lives here in La Crosse and that we can solve issues like uh, having a, a crisis level of, of a lack of, of housing. Yeah, what I've learned so far about this show is the like local stuff like Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative, MRCTI. <laughs> And ADUs, accessory dwelling units, like local. Well, I guess that's probably not local, but that's what we're doing locally today. We're, we're locally, uh, the, the the federal government's so much better at acronyms, is what I'm learning. Uh, yeah, they have some good ones. They really do. Yeah. It's probably most of their thought is put into the acronym. Let's get the acronym down, and then we'll create legislation around it. Oh, so oh, maybe, they've got they got a whole department of acronyms. Right, and then locally, you guys are like, here's the problem. And then we'll just name it whatever the problem is, even though the the name is terrible. But at yeah, least you're. I mean, but, but, I, I will, that's that's some interesting criticism, Rick. Well, I'm okay. saying like locally, locally, you're 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 going to figure out the issue and, and try to solve the problem, and then we'll name it a thing. And federally, like <laughs> let's get a cool name so it makes headlines, and then we'll we'll figure out what we can work into that name. And if if we leave some stuff out, it's fine. Um, but I bring okay. that up a little bit because in, we're we're like not far out from. April elections, and I don't know, like, how are you feeling with that? I mean, we talked about voter turnout last time you were on a little bit, but, you know, uh, uh, this is, you know, like, we're, get, we're getting there, and I don't know, as a mayor, what do you do to, uh, you know, when it comes to April elections? You're not on the ballot, obviously, but, like, right. you, you probably care about some of these things. Yeah, it's important for us to make sure that we have uh, really, uh, we, we create an environment so that we can facilitate uh, voter engagement. And that's what the city clerk's office does on a regular basis. Uh, our city clerk, Nikki Elson, has done a tremendous job in voter engagement and education and really getting people clued in to not only the uh, just making sure that they understand where they vote, what their voter rights, and uh, making sure that we provide access, uh, more access than we ever have before. That was part of the, my goals when, when I first was elected. Let's just make sure that we're working on providing more voter access instead of less voter access. And so having more um, absentee voting areas, for instance. And so we've been working on that. She's been working on that. She's been doing a tremendous job at that. And I think that, you know, that I think the proof is in the pudding. We had last April the highest spring voter turnout ever seen in the city of La Crosse. And I think part of that was just the amount of time and effort we've been putting into uh, voter education. So I, I'm very pleased with the outcomes. I'm very pleased with how we've seen turnout in recent elections. I think that will continue. 
does Amir get involved with who's running and like, you know what? I like this person and not that person. And therefore I'm going to get involved. Or do you, I guess not as, you know, like, do you as the mayor? That That's not anything that I would know. No. Okay. I was curious. None of that. None of it. No. Do other mayors do that? I just, I don't, I, I, I don't not know. something I, I don't thought of. I mean, other, different, different mayors, different cities. I don't know. Um, okay. Back to committee week we had last week and the city council yep. will meet Thursday at 6 PM. Um, ADUs is on the agenda. I, short-term rentals is another one where yep. I think yep. where there, there's, there, are there two different things we're looking at with short-term rentals? I understand we're trying to, uh, regulation fees, like our short-term rental fees from 50 to a hundred dollars. That one makes sense. But what's the other, the other half of this equation? Yeah, I think the fees are somewhat inconsequential, frankly, and I don't, I don't, I don't see that as much of an impediment for anybody who's looking to operate a short-term rental in the city. I think that some of the biggest concerns that I heard from those who are operating short-term rentals was the limitations on their ability to uh, to to rent their properties, uh, to exercise their property rights, and so there was talk of a you know a, a two-night limit, and I think a, a lot of folks are really displeased with that as uh, just. And, and this isn't done yet, right? I mean, it goes in front of the city council. Anything can happen. Uh, but I think that, you know, for a lot of folks who are uh, operating operating within the law, operating a short-term rental and maybe renting a room and, in their home in order to supplement income, I, I, don't, I don't know if the minimum two-night stay was going to necessarily work uh, very well. Uh, some folks, when they, when they rent, they'll say from Airbnb, you know they'll they'll come to lacrosse for a night for one thing, and oftentimes they'll stay in a home, they'll stay in a basement, they'll stay in an extra bedroom because that's what people rent on Airbnb. Uh, and it's not always two nights; sometimes it's just one night. So uh, I, I'm interested to see. This is a start. I think that um, it's it's good. The primary thing that I I heard folks want was uh, a need to understand. How many we had, where they were, and I see that. so I think a registration process is very, very helpful. I mean, if it's Airbnb or VRBO, they are remitting uh, room tax already to the city of Lacrosse. If they're registered on those sites and they're renting through those sites, we're already collecting room tax. So that's not a thing, but we don't know exactly where they are. And I think folks in the city wanted to know just where those short-term rentals were in their neighborhoods. And so I think this is, if for those folks, this is probably a step forward for them. And I don't think it's necessarily ideal, but it certainly checks the boxes in some ways and probably disappoints people and others. Yeah. Two night or a two day, whatever, a two night minimum seems kind of weird. I, does the city have any ability to regulate versus, okay, I'm going to rent a room out of my house versus I'm, I own another house and I'm just going to rent that out and and to differentiate between like this, hey, if you're just renting a room one night, it's okay. And if you're if you're renting a house, then it's got to be a two night minimum. Or is there is, does the state not allow you to do st- certain things like that? Well, that's a really good question. Actually, I'm not sure if we if we looked at that in terms of differentiating between house and room. So that that's a good question. I would have to ask legal about that. I'm, I actually am not sure. All right. Well, there's an idea, you know, city council, if you're listening, okay. maybe I, I feel like because people that rent rooms, you know, if we have a housing crisis in La Crosse and they're not enough single family homes for people to buy and I own another house and I just rent it out on the weekends because we're, a, you know, nice tourism town. Well, that's a house that somebody else could buy. And if you, you know, if you make that a little bit more of a hassle, I guess it would be a weird way to put it. But uh, versus me renting a room, I just I need a couple hundred bucks a month extra to make ends meet. 
and I'm just going to rent out this room, which is going to be a complete hassle for me because I have this stranger living here, and now he's feeding my dog treats from the table. Sure. So here's the question, though. when you, If you're going to differentiate between the property rights of an individual who owns a home, lives in the home, and rents, rents a room out, and the person who doesn't live in a home and rents the home out, how do you do that? How do you say the property rights of this individual are greater than the property rights of that individual? And I think that that's where you start to run into some constitutional questions. And I think that that's where I would, I would pause a little bit when it comes to saying that the, the rights of this individual, because he's just renting a room, are somehow greater than the rights of this person because he's renting a whole house. I think that might be something where we have to, yeah, I think we, it's, it's just something that requires some more conversation and, um, and evaluation. Right. I mean, in the, in the city's position, I just, you, you kind of want that house to be for sale. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, for sure. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And I've said this multiple times. Anytime that I see, you know, an entire house on Airbnb within the city of La Crosse, I mean, it, it makes, it, you know, makes my heart bleed a little bit because frankly, that's, you know, it's a whole house that there could be somebody uh, living in here and being part of the community. And absolutely, I want that. It's just that we do, there has to be, if, if someone is operating within their rights as a citizen and within the Constitution, that has to be part of the conversation. All right, last thing. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to know a ton about this, but, okay, so there's a couple of things that happened. Like a couple of years ago, Kmart, you know, the Kmart lot was going to be a U-Haul parking lot, and then the city said, eh, we don't want to do that. Um, th- this past week, we there's a proposal to tear down the Macy's, the old Macy's at the Valley View Mall, and then change that into a car wash, an extra 100 parking stalls, and then a couple of fast food, I think fast food restaurants, or a couple of businesses. Um, what is the city's role in just like, hey, no, you can't do that, or yes, you can do that, we're, you know, in because when I see the U-Haul thing, and we're not going to do that, we want to utilize that better. Is there a, is that the same? Are they apples to oranges there? Not exactly. I mean, in terms of U-Haul, that was a zoning decision uh, for Macy's. That is a conditional use permit for a demolition. Um, so it's not quite the same. It is actually the commercial use uh, out at the Valley View Mall is a very exactly the same thing as if it were Macy's. So there is no zoning decision there. It's really just a demolition permit. Okay. Um, for for the U-Haul, I think that was, and I'd have to look back at that. I actually don't remember, but I believe that the original the original zoning was for commercial, and what U-Haul, I don't. I guess I I can't say for sure because I, I actually don't remember. I think there was it was it was a different use for that for that site though. So there is a little bit of a difference there, and it is not it's not exactly the same thing. Um, and of course, you know these are um, the, the the boards making these decisions change over time as well. So these can be up to individuals um, who are making these decisions. But in general, uh, it is it's it tends to rely. So we can't if if somebody wants to use a commercial property as a commercial property, there's not there's not any way for us to get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to make sure that they're following all the rules and that they're abiding by what we require for the use of those storage properties. But if there's a zoning change, that's that's a significantly different thing. If we're going from commercial to light industrial or something like that, um, there has to be a, 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 a more significant deliberation. What about the city having different water regulations for car washes? 
<laughs> can we can we add that? I know the city owns a car wash. I mean, yeah. if this is like ten years down the future. We're going to start rethinking about. I understand like salt and, and rust and and your car yeah. being a thing, but like ten years down the road, we talk about water war, water wars at the beginning of the show. The idea that we're going to have, yeah. uh, you know, hey, build a bunch of car washes where you know fresh water just goes to clean our cars. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I'm sure you you probably have heard, but car washes are a huge growth industry. They're just, but also remember that car washes use a third of the water that people use if they wash their car in their driveway. So in some ways, there's a water savings there. Um, and also, there's uh, car washes also recycle water. Um, and not all of them do it the same way, but uh, they, you know, there's water goes, you know, uh, depending on the filter, car wash yeah. and, and the, the company, they'll go to recycling tank, the tank will they'll, they'll clean the water and they'll reuse the water. All right, that's the Cross Mayor Mitch Reynolds. I'm going to let you go. Uh, thanks a lot for, for spending an hour with us, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll, we'll wrap up. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Thanks again to the Lacrosse Mayor Mitch Reynolds for hanging out for the hour. Coming up tomorrow, U.S. US State Senator Brad Paff will be joining us also by phone.